This is the Quantum Tech Pod, brought to you by Inside Quantum Technology, covering industry analysis, data, and market forecasting for quantum technology markets worldwide. Now, here's your host, Christopher Bishop. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Quantum Tech Pod. I'm delighted you're listening. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, depending on where you're sitting on the planet. My guest today is Alan Barretts, CEO of D-Wave Systems, Inc. Dr. Barretts became the CEO of D-Wave in 2020 and previously served as Executive Vice President of R&D and Chief Product Officer, driving development, delivery, and support of all of D-Wave's products, technologies, and applications. Alan has over 25 years of experience in product development and bringing new products to market at leading technology companies and software startups. As the first president of JavaSoft at Sun Microsystems, Alan oversaw the growth and adoption of the Java platform from its infancy to a robust platform supporting mission-critical applications in nearly 80% of Fortune 1000 companies. He's also held executive positions at Symphony, Avaya, Cisco, and IBM, and served as a managing director at Warburg Pincus LLC. Alan holds a doctorate in computer science from MIT. His company, D-Wave, is the leader in the development and delivery of quantum computing systems, software, and services, and is the world's first commercial supplier of quantum computers. D-Wave is a Canadian company with headquarters near Vancouver, and their U.S. operations are based in Palo Alto, California. D-Wave is the only company developing both annealing and gate model quantum computers. Their systems are being used by some of the world's most advanced organizations, including NEC, Volkswagen, Denso, Lockheed Martin, USC, and Los Alamos National Laboratory. They also have a blue-chip investor base, including PSP Investments, Goldman Sachs, BDC Capital, NEC Corp., Aegis Group Partners, and InQtel. So welcome, Alan, and thanks for joining me. Thanks, Chris. It's a pleasure for me to be here, and I'm looking forward to the discussion. Great. So, Alan, I always like to start the podcast by asking my guest to share a bit about their own personal quantum journey. As I described, you've had quite an interesting one so far. Um, my objective is twofold, certainly to give our audiences a sense of what you did before you joined D-Wave, but also to orient our audience more broadly to the fact that there are many ways and various paths that people have taken to get into the field of quantum information science. So if you could just please share with our listeners a bit about your background, your path so far, maybe where you grew up, where you went to school, obviously MIT, what an amazing uh, institution, what you studied, uh, and insight into some of the companies and organizations where you worked before joining D-Wave. I'm particularly curious about Java. Oh my goodness, that's uh, that alone would be uh, a reason to talk to you, in my opinion. But, so uh, share with our listeners some background, please. Sure, happy to do it, Chris. So uh, I was born in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, but I grew up in Las Vegas, Nevada, which always raises some eyebrows a bit. Uh, you know, I uh, was an undergraduate at UCLA, and uh, I uh, was a graduate student, got my master's degree and my doctorate at MIT. Uh, my doctorate is actually in theory of computation. And so while I'm not a physicist, I can hold my own pretty well with our really exceptional group of scientists and engineers. Um, as you pointed out in the introduction, and, and thank you, that was a great introduction, uh, the role that I am probably most well-known for, at least in the Bay Area, was as the first president of JavaSoft at Sun Microsystems, where he's responsible for bringing the Java technology to market, 
growing the revenue and building the developer ecosystem. Actually, uh, a lot of what I did there is quite similar to what we're doing now at D-Wave as we're creating a new industry and a new ecosystem for quantum computing. Um, as you pointed out, uh, I've been a senior executive at a number of large companies, including Cisco, uh, Via, IBM. Um, I've also been a private company CEO several times before joining D-Wave. I sold all of those companies. The last one I sold to Cisco, which was how I ended up there. Uh, and I've been a venture investor. I was a managing director at Warbur Pincus, and I opened their first Bay Area office. So I've had an opportunity to see the tech industry from the big company side, from the small company side, as well as from the venture investing side. Wow, fascinating. I want to ask you about the the company. So how was the company founded? Again, this is sort of, you were a seminal player in the quantum computing space. Um, but who started the company and why did they start it? What were the compelling events that, that led to D-Wave being founded? Yeah, the company was actually founded over 20 years ago, back in 1999. Uh, it was founded by uh, Jordy Rose, Haig Ferris, and uh, Eric Ledzinski. Um, the mission was and still is to unlock the power of quantum computing to help solve the world's most challenging problems. Um, in the early days, uh, it wasn't clear that you could build a quantum computer. And so the company was focused more on um, kind of gathering and developing IP that could ultimately be used as a part of developing a quantum computer if we ever got to the point where it looked like that would be possible. Um, however, several years into it, uh, the company realized that you know, the science and the engineering had progressed to the point where you probably could build a quantum computer, uh, at least build what's known as an annealing quantum computer. And so the company set out to do exactly that. Um, and 20 years later, D-Wave uh, is the only company in the world that develops and delivers annealing quantum computers. Uh, these are commercial grade systems being used today by customers like Johnson & Johnson uh, or uh, uh, MasterCard or GlaxoSmithKline or SellerMetall to solve real business problems to benefit their business operations. Uh, and so 20 years later, we're the first and only commercial quantum computing company. So, you know, when we talk about customers like those I just named, and we talk about the various applications that we're working on, things like uh, loyalty program optimization or optimizing the movement of shipping containers uh, at shipping ports, uh, our competitors talk about government research grants as revenue and national labs as academic and academic institutions as customers. So quite a difference. We are truly commercial Everybody else in the quantum space is basically just using government funding to help fund the development of their systems. Yeah. No, remarkable. 20 years ago. Oh, my goodness. So needless to say, you know, D-Wave has been a leader in quantum computing for many years. Um, in 2015, I was doing my research, eight years ago, uh, your 2X quantum computer with more than 1,000 qubits was installed at the Quantum Artificial Intelligence Lab at the NASA Ames Research Center. And your latest Advantage system is over 5,000 qubits. I have to mention here that uh, IBM's recent Osprey with 433 qubits 
caused a stir in the quantum community. But again, you have over 5,000 in your um, device, if you will. So I'm, I want to talk about quantum annealing. Can you tell me about this technology in a little more detail and, and why the company had initially focused on this approach? Yep, um, exactly. So, you know, as I said, um, we started building a quantum computer, um, you know, over 15 years ago, way before anybody else uh, decided to start trying to build a quantum computer. And at that time, the science and the engineering had progressed where it was believed you probably could build an annealing quantum computer, uh, which is one of the two primary approaches to quantum computing, the other one being gate model. But back then, it wasn't yet clear that you could build a gate model system. So since we wanted to build a quantum computer, there was line of sight to the possibility of building an annealing system, not yet a gate model system. We set out to build an annealing quantum computer. Uh, annealing technology is much easier to work with. It's much easier to scale. That's why we're at 5,000 qubits when everybody else is at you know 50 or, or a few hundred qubits. It's much less sensitive to noise and errors. And that's why we're able to deliver good, if not optimal solutions to hard problems today without the need for error correction. And annealing is excellent at solving problems that are known as optimization problems. These are things like employee scheduling or you know, uh, optimizing the movement of cargo containers at shipping ports or protein folding. Frankly, most of the important hard problems that businesses need to solve today are optimization problems. And these are the problems that annealing quantum computers are very good at solving. Now, gate model is the other approach to quantum computing. Uh, that's the approach that everybody else decided to pursue. Um, and the reason is that they all jumped into the game seven or eight years ago rather than 15 years ago. And seven or eight years ago, it was believed that maybe now you can build a gate model quantum computer. The science and the engineering had progressed to the point where it was thought that it might be possible to go ahead and build a gate model system. Moreover, at that point in time, it was thought that a gate model could solve any problem. So it was known that annealing, what D-Wave does today, could solve optimization problems, but it was also known that annealing could not solve all problems. For example, it could not solve differential equations problems for quantum chemistry or computational fluid dynamics, but it was believed that a gate model could solve all problems, including optimization. So at that point in time, everybody else said, well, if we now think we can build a gate model system and gate model can do everything, we might as well go after gate model. So that's why, you know, D-Wave started with annealing because we started 15 years ago and we had line of sight to only annealing at that point in time. Everybody else started seven or eight years ago. There was line of sight to gate model and they thought that it was a strictly more powerful technology. But we learned something very surprising and important about a year ago. At that time, it was uh, proven that gate model systems cannot solve all problems. So that thought that they could was incorrect. In fact, it was shown that gate model quantum computers likely will never 
be able to deliver a speed up on optimization problems, the thing that annealing is very good at. So what that means is we now have kind of a split in the application environment for quantum. There are problems that will always require annealing. Those are optimization problems. There are problems that will always require gate model. Those are differential equations problems. As I said, quantum chemistry, computational fluid dynamics. And then there are problems that either can solve. These are things like linear algebra for machine learning or factorization for crypto. But that's actually played out extremely well for D-Wave because being the only company in the world that is focused on annealing, we are the only company in the world that can solve the optimization portion of the market for quantum. We have no competition in that portion of the market. So, you know, it's played out quite well for us. We're the first and only commercial quantum computer. We're the only ones that can solve an important, uh, the, the problems associated with an important part of the market optimization. Um, and so, you know, we're building a great business today. Thank you for sharing that differentiation. And it, it sort of leads to my following question, which is, you know, you in October 2021, uh, you expanded the portfolio to embrace uh, gate-based quantum computing and wondering, you know, what led the company to make this decision? My guess is uh, client needs. But how did th that said, how do the two approaches differ when addressing client needs? Is one approach better for a certain set of problems? And maybe we'll get into more specifics around sort of verticals or uh, industry applications. But can you share a little more color around that? Yep, yep. So, you know, as I mentioned a minute ago, you're absolutely right. There are certain problems that require annealing and always will. And there are certain problems that require gate model and always will. Now, we at D-Wave, being the only company that does annealing and can address a really important part of the market, could just stop there. I mean, we could build a great business into the future for just annealing, solving the really important optimization problems that businesses need to solve. But many of our customers have use cases that actually require both annealing and gate. For example, imagine a drug company that's developing a new drug, putting it through trials, manufacturing, sending it out into the market. Portions of that use case will in fact require a gate model system. Specifically, the quantum chemistry that's required as a part of the drug discovery does require a gate model system. However, portions of that require an annealing system. For example, if you need to do protein folding, that's actually an optimization problem which would require annealing. If you want to optimize the manufacturing process associated with moving that drug into the market, that's also optimization, which requires annealing. So many customers have use cases that will end up requiring both annealing and gate. Well, since D-Wave is the only company in the world doing annealing, if we were also to do gate, we would be the only company in the world doing both and as a result, the only company that can address the full use case for our customers. So that was the starting point behind, you know, introducing gate model into our product roadmap. But there's another reason why we did it. 
And that is, um, we've been developing our annealing quantum computer for 15 years now. And over that time, we've, A, solved most of the really hard problems that need to be solved for an annealing quantum computer. So we're transitioning our product development to a more traditional product development cycle around annealing where, you know, every couple of years we'll basically boost the performance of the system, but not as much focus on hard fundamental research problems. That means that we now have the bandwidth available to apply to a new class of hard research problems. Read that as gate model. Moreover, we had to develop a number of really challenging technologies for our annealing quantum computer that are directly applicable to a scaled, namely large, error-corrected gate model system, which is ultimately what you're going to want to need in gate model systems to solve real-world problems. These are things like on-chip control. We're the only company in the world that has control on the same chip as the qubits. We figured out how to manage noise and crosstalk so that the control structures on the chip don't negatively impact the coherence times of the qubits. This will ultimately be required to build error-corrected gate model quantum computers. We have the technology today, nobody else does. And so while we're starting on gate model, later than everybody else. They all started seven or eight years ago. We started about a year ago. We actually bring to the party technologies that we have in hand that are going to be required that nobody else has yet even started working on. So we think we're in a really good position with respect to the timing for developing a gate model system. And, you know, as I said, being the only company in the world bringing both annealing and gate to market and able to address the full set of customer use cases. Yeah, well, certainly you're in a, you're in a unique position. It's quite, uh, quite exciting. Uh, the perennial question, of course, is customers, right? So, and again, in preparing for our conversation, you know, uh, the list is long. You have an impressive list across a range of both private and public sector organizations. Um, I heard you speak recently at a conference. You mentioned a project with MasterCard focused on helping manage loyalty rewards programs and cross-border settlement and fraud detection. And maybe without violating any confidentiality agreements or competitive advantage details, could you share more information with our listeners about this engagement and maybe others that you're involved in? Uh, sure, I'd love to, because at the end of the day, that's really what matters. I mean, you know... <laughs> A lot of folks in the quantum industry will talk about benchmarks for their quantum computers. These are kind of esoteric measures associated with things like coherence times, uh, gate fidelity, circuit depth, things that kind of make your head spin. But at the end of the day, all that really matters is can you solve the customer's problem better than they're solving it today and deliver a positive ROI. The truth of the matter is nobody else in the quantum industry has a quantum computer that can, you know, even attempt to solve a real world business problem. Nobody other than D-Wave. We're the only ones that do and are 
providing that capability to our customers today. So you mentioned MasterCard. Um, we, we have a very close working relationship with MasterCard. Um, uh, as you mentioned, one of the applications that we're working on with them is loyalty rewards program optimization. So the idea is simply that you know you you have uh, banks and merchants that are developing uh, rewards programs. You have cardholders, and what you want to do is you want to figure out. Uh, which programs to offer to which cardholders to maximize the uptake. Now, there are many factors involved in this, and it turns out to be a very challenging computational problem. Um, however, uh, we have worked with MasterCard to develop a proof of concept uh, with respect to uh, how the quantum computer can improve um, in solving this problem. Um, in fact, we had our customer conference in Miami in January, uh, and MasterCard was on stage with me, and they were showing that application running live against our quantum computer on stage. So very, very promising results on that particular application. But there are others as well. Um, you know, we have a customer uh, by the name of Savant X. Um, Savant X provides software that is used by shipping ports uh, to basically schedule how cranes move shipping containers um, throughout the port from the ships onto the trucks so that they can be sent out for delivery. So what has happened is that Savant X has integrated access to our quantum computers into this software. And what they found is that by using the quantum computer, they can develop schedules in real time where the cranes, each crane can handle up to 60% more containers per day, and they can reduce the wait times for the trucks by about 12%, uh, also reducing carbon emissions. So, you know, speeding the time through the port as well as reducing carbon emissions. Um, now, this is in production today at the port of LA accessing our quantum computer about every 15 seconds to help um, do the scheduling in real time. Um, and maybe let me give you one more example. We're working with Deloitte on an airport employee scheduling application. Uh, this application is scheduling 60,000 employees across 450 airports. Um, today, it takes on the order of uh, months to develop the schedules. And that's problematic because at any point in time, something could happen at an airport. Bad weather, for example, or illnesses um, that could require changes to the employee scheduling. But it's very, very difficult to do that because the scheduling is so complex. Well, 
leveraging our quantum computer, uh, they've shown that these schedules can now be developed in minutes, meaning it's possible to adapt in real time as conditions change. So these are just a few uh, examples of real world applications that our quantum computer uh, is being used to support. Yeah. And a topic that doesn't get discussed often is what you were um, describing about the work at the Port of LA, which is around implications for climate change, you know, energy consumption, and more broadly, climate change mm -hmm. um, by reducing power consumption as a result of improving scheduling efficiency. I think that's an important point to make, right? To call out to our listeners that this is um, you know, the broader implications of quantum and the way you are applying it, the way D-Wave is bringing it to market. Uh, um, that's exactly right. And by the way, Chris, uh, there's another way in which we uh, aid in uh, reduction of carbon emissions. And that is that our quantum computers are very energy efficient. We use superconducting technology, which means that our quantum processors essentially draw no power. So the power required to run our quantum computers is just the power required to run the refrigeration system, which cools the chip down to temperatures where uh, you know, the chips become superconducting. And those refrigerators consume only about 25 kilowatt hours. No matter how powerful the chip, no matter how many chips we put in a single refrigerator, the power consumption is fixed at about 25 kilowatt hours, which is very low compared to the number of GPUs that, you know, tend to be in use today. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that. Alan, I want to give you a chance to share any important announcements with our audience, perhaps, you know, recent contracts or planned product launches or even funding rounds, other so, uh, so first of all, um, we recently announced uh, a new program in the area of machine learning, right? So, you know, everybody knows we're, we're in the midst of an AI boom and, and businesses are increasingly incorporating uh, AI and machine learning as a fundamental component of their compute infrastructure. So what we have done is we have announced a program around feature selection. Turns out that feature selection is an important component of machine learning and one that our quantum computer is excellent at addressing. So let me take a minute to explain this. At the highest level, machine learning is all about taking a data set, a large data set that represents lots of characteristics and training a model so that if you present a piece of data to the model, it can tell you whether that new piece of data matches the characteristics or does not match the characteristics. So at the highest level, that's what machine learning is all about. Now, if you try to train a model on the full data set, it can take a very long time to do the training, and you can end up doing what's called overfitting the model, where the model isn't quite as accurate as it could be. Well, feature selection is the problem of determining a small subset of the characteristics that is most representative of what you're trying to learn. So that problem of determining that small subset or feature selection 
turns out to be an optimization problem, what our quantum computer is very good at solving, but it turns out to be what's known as a quadratic optimization problem. And what's important about this is that there are no good classical solvers for solving quadratic optimization problems. It's too hard for classical. Typically, the way a problem like this gets solved is you try to simplify it. You try to make it a linear optimization problem, uh, which there are uh, classical solvers for solving. Um, but then you lose things. You don't get the best possible solution. Our quantum computer, however, is very good at solving quadratic optimization problems, and as a result, very good at solving feature selection. So we announced uh, a week or two ago that we have a new program around feature selection. We developed this application initially for one of our customers, uh, then a second and a third had an interest in it. And so now we've developed a go-to-market program specifically focused on helping any and all companies that need to use feature selection. Um, second, a very recent announcement was expanding the footprint of our quantum cloud service called Leap. So in addition to developing and manufacturing and making available quantum computers, we also have our own quantum cloud service. Um, we launched this back in 2018. It was the first real-time quantum cloud service. Uh, it's a very, very comprehensive service. Not only can you access our quantum computers, but you can also access uh, what are called hybrid solvers. These are solvers that use classical compute, CPUs and GPUs, together with the quantum computer uh, to solve even larger problems than the quantum computer can solve natively. We have hybrid solvers inside our quantum cloud service. We also have uh, an integrated developer environment so you can build your applications right there inside the cloud service. So it's a very comprehensive quantum cloud service. Um, it's available in many countries around the world. And we recently announced that we are adding Israel to the list of countries that we are available in. So now available in 39 countries uh, around the world. And then finally, because our quantum cloud service is used not for research experimentation, but frankly, to support real business applications in production, we had to build in the security, the privacy, the availability needed to support those applications. In fact, we've had to uh, pass multiple security audits on our system uh, for our customers. And so what we did was we decided to pursue SOC 2 compliance for our quantum cloud service. Uh, and we are well down the path of that. And we should have SOC 2 type 2 compliance on our cloud service before the end of this year. Terrific. Wow. So I want to shift gears and talk a little bit about a topic that's near and dear to my heart, which is workforce, and get your take uh, on the challenges facing a company like D-Wave and finding talent. I'm wondering how you go about recruiting for your company. Do you have affiliations with universities? Especially now that you have sort of both, uh, you know, models annealing and gate base. That's sort of two separate uh, skill sets, I would think. Um, and are there specific roles and disciplines that are harder to fill than others? Let me kind of separate between uh, the development of the quantum systems and 
the skill sets we need for that, which are in areas like superconducting circuit fabrication, quantum circuit design, uh, IO, refrigeration, and so on, versus all the software aspects, which are things like software development tools, as well as application development for our quantum systems. On the hardware side, on the system side, you know, I'll be very frank with you. Uh, When we started in this space, um, academic institutions really were not, they, they really didn't have programs in the areas that were important to us. Superconducting circuit fabrication, quantum circuit design, IO, refrigeration. Um, And so basically we trained people uh, within D-Wave. So, you know, we would hire people with good uh, uh, physics background, good engineering background, um, and we would kind of train them on the job. And, And even today, most of the training that is done for um, helping to develop our systems is done within D-Wave. We are always interested in uh, engaging academic institutions, uh, either to kind of help them understand the sorts of skill sets that are important for a company like D-Wave, or to help participate in developing uh, curriculum for these skill sets, um, but it's still very early days on all of that. Yeah. On the software side, um, annealing systems are much easier to program than gate model systems. You actually don't need to be a quantum physicist. You don't need to understand quantum circuits or quantum gates. Um, programming an annealing quantum computer uh, is more about simple mathematical reformulation of your problem and programming in Python. And so there, it's much easier for us to find the skills um, because, you know, these are areas where the skills are being developed in various academic institutions around the world. And then finally, when it comes to helping our customers understand how to use our systems. Um, It's really uh, operations research um, um, skill sets or optimization skill sets um, that we hire into our professional services organization, the group that works with customers to help them build out these applications. And those skills are readily available as well. Yeah. I want to reinforce your point about training, though. I think not enough uh, people are aware, the talented people who are looking to get into the quantum information science space uh, business, if you will, in the private sector for sure, um, just to reinforce the fact that, you know, you and other companies are prepared to train because this is, we are in the early days, right? Yeah. So bringing skills and an open mind, being ready to learn and, uh, and take advantage of this, this new, you know, technology. Yeah, Chris, both train on the job within D-Wave, as well as help academic institutions to build uh, courses and courseware. Great points. So, Alan, we come to the end. I'd like to end the podcast by asking my guests to share their vision for where quantum computing might be in maybe three to five, even 10 years. And sort of more importantly, you know, what kind of impact do you think it's going to have broadly on how we live and work? 
Can you yeah. do a moment to wax philosophic here? <laughs> sure. So first of all, um, there are two different types of applications for quantum. Uh, what I like to call evolutionary applications and what I call revolutionary applications. So revolutionary applications are things like uh, global weather modeling or the development of designer drugs where a drug is being developed for me personally to deal with my collection of ailments. These are problems that um, we can't even start to solve today. I mean, we just do not have the computational power classically to even try to solve them. And quantum is not yet at the point where it can solve them. And I think that if we're looking out 10 to 15 years, that we will get to the point in that time frame where we have the quantum power capable to solve that class of problems. Um, but today, there are the evolutionary problems. Um, these are problems like those that I've already talked about, employee scheduling, um, cargo container movement, protein folding. These are problems that businesses actually are solving today. It's just that the problems are computationally so hard that businesses can't come up with optimal solutions. So they use algorithms that simplify the problem and in, in an attempt to come up with good enough solutions. However, with quantum, today we can deliver better solutions than what classical is delivering for those problems. And as a result, deliver significant business benefits. It's those evolutionary applications that will um, be the area in which quantum computing is able to provide real benefit over the next three to five to seven years. And D-Wave is there today. We are doing exactly that today. We're likely the only company that will be able to do that for at least seven more years. The reason is in order to be able to do even that with gate model systems, you require error correction. There's just no evidence that a gate model system can solve any important real world problem without error correction. And we're at least seven years away from error correction in gate model systems. So, you know, as I look out over three to five to seven years, it really is doing a better job on problems that businesses are solving today and delivering real significant benefit, but likely only annealing will be able to deliver on that in, in the three to five to seven year time frame, and, um, and as a result, only D-Wave. As we get beyond that, then we start to get error correction, then the gate model systems start to come online, then we may be uh, with that and the advances in annealing at that point in time have the potential to start attacking some of those revolutionary problems. Great. I, I really like the concept of evolutionary and revolutionary. Uh, terrific perspective. Alan, thank you so much for sharing your experience and insight and your fascinating journey and the amazing work that uh, you and D-Wave are doing. So I've really enjoyed our conversation. It was my pleasure, Chris. Thanks for the opportunity. And hopefully you'll invite me back at some time in the future. Yes, absolutely. I want to invite people to follow you and the company on LinkedIn. Um, point listeners to the website. It's dwavesys.com. 
Uh, you have social media channels as well, DWaveSys on Twitter and DWaveSystems on YouTube and DWaveSys on Facebook. So thank you again, Alan, for joining me today. Thanks to all of you for listening. Please share this podcast on social media channels to increase the impact of my conversation with Alan. Listen to my other podcast episodes if you haven't already. And feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn. This has been a production of Inside Quantum Technology. You've been listening to the Quantum Tech Pod, brought to you by Inside Quantum Technology. For more information on this episode or other topics relating to quantum technology, visit InsideQuantumTechnology.com.